मिनट रुक जाओ रेडियो ने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं Hi, I am Akshay. Hi, this is Saurabh and you are listening to the Founder Thesis podcast. We meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country and we want to learn how to build a unicorn. In 2005 two seminal events happened. One was there was a movie called Swadesh launched at the end of 2004 which I watched I think January or February 2005. Kind of rang a bell inside me because you know the story was really about somebody who has already achieved everything in life outside of India and wants to come back home. To me it sounded like you know that's my story and I really should be going back now to contribute with my skill set in my own country rather than thinking of a job abroad. And this was a time when I was interviewing so actually after watching Swadesh I did not do a few interviews because i thought you know if i have to move back to india i might as well focus on jobs there second thing was the steve jobs commencement speech which i think also happened i guess it was april or may 2005 as well now i know that most of our travel plans took a hit because of you know covid-19 but there is no harm in planning your forthcoming trips and daydreaming about them because i know how much you hate your job <laughs> just kidding however what i'm not joking about is you planning your forthcoming trips And if there's one website that every millennial should be acquainted with, it's none other than Xigo. The founder of Xigo, Alok Bajpai, has had a very colorful journey, starting with spending his childhood in Kenya, pursuing engineering from an IIT and living the dream of working in a global tech company. He's done it all. But he couldn't stay away from his country or from following his passion, and he spent 11 years in making Xigo, the leading platform for all Indian travelers. Listen to this candid conversation between Akshay and Alok about what it takes to build an online business in a frugal manner. Hi, I am Alok Bajpai. I am the co-founder and CEO of Xigo, uh, India's leading uh, AI-based travel app. What was it like to grow up in Kenya? How was that experience like and did it change your world view so to say like from moving to, How old were you when you moved from India to Kenya? I was 7 and I I think I think that was a very uh, for for me you know that was an age where it's an age of discovery and an age for learning new things so so I think uh, I owe what I am today a lot to that experience you know it was a multicultural place that we were living like Mombasa was a small island uh, where you know multiple ethnicities from around the world Europeans Arabs uh, you know Africans Indian uh, South Asian uh, so melting pot for a lot of cultures religions so got very good exposure there from that perspective and also at that young age you know a lot of things to discover in, in terms of natural you know we did all the game reserves and a lot of natural beauty uh, that exists in africa so it was one of the uh, moments from childhood i fondly remember a lot of beaches a lot of wildlife and a uh, lot of friends from different nationalities and the best part is you know it was also my first trip with computers my dad actually you know saw this uh, poster uh, on a... so at the end of our street where we used to stay there was this uh, new computer institute and this was 1988 right uh, 
when I was eight, this new computer institute had come up called Bits and Bytes. And they had procured a few Apple Macintoshes and they had started teaching some people how to use computers, right? And they had this summer program for kids. It was super expensive, but I think my dad didn't hesitate to, you know, put me into that. My first trip with computers and, you know, it, like love at first sight for me and spent like three to four weeks learning uh, how to use various tools on a Macintosh. Uh, uh, I fell in love with the speed synth part back then and, and also built a few games of my own, I recall. So that was that was an integral part of my entrepreneurial journey, you know, getting falling in love with computers at such a young age. Uh, what was Mombasa like as compared to India? It's a, a very small island town, you know, off the eastern coast of Kenya. So people don't know, but... Uh, but how is it so well off? I, I mean... For somebody to open an institute with Max means it must be a well-off place. So I tell you the background is that Mombasa was one of the places where Vasco da Gama landed before he came to India. It's a very historically significant port for East Africa. And, you know, it's always been this trading post where, you know, right from the British colonial rule till, you know, Europeans coming there for the beaches or whether it's Indian traders and settlers there. So Bank of Baroda, my dad used to work for, uh, you know, there are a lot of Gujaratis in, in Kenya, a lot of wealthy businessmen, traders, and they would all bank with Gujarati Bank, which course Bank of Baroda which became a nationalized bank so that's how my dad ended up there and the thing is since it was this tourist hotspot so obviously it was a little more affluent uh, uh, the rest of the country and uh, it had a lot of international you know, folks so international schools you know very multicultural society and I think it was like a commercial hub yeah tourist and commercial hub on the east coast yeah. In uh, Mombasa, so uh, you did you do anything besides studying, like, you know, in terms of uh, anything entrepreneurial that you recall? Well, uh, I mean, I was a kid, so I was discovering a lot of things. And, you know, one of the fond memories there is that, you know, I, I, I won this GK competition in my school. So they actually did this assessment across the whole school and uh, I came first in it and, and why I recall that is that when I got the prize money my dad asked me what do you want to do with this and I said I want to buy an encyclopedia I mean in hindsight that was a pretty geeky thing to do for a eight year for an eight year old but I'd heard this cool thing called an encyclopedia you know which everybody told me was big and fat but it had all the world's knowledge in it back then we didn't have wikipedia right so you only had the encyclopedia so I <laughs> went and went and bought this really fat I still have it actually now I was showing it to my kids just a few days ago you know and and i think some of that intellectual curiosity uh, i i think came from that exposure i got there and the you know uh, the, the kind of things you 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 kind of start asking questions about around you that they really came about and this computer course actually uh, really set me uh, started actually when i came back to india when we came back in 91 i asked my dad if we could buy a computer and he said you know the thing costs a few lakhs, right? I mean, this is 1991. Uh, there are not that many computers in the world still. So <laughs> I couldn't get back to computers till probably 94, 93, maybe when, when it got introduced as a subject in school. And every school started having these chilled out computer labs where you couldn't go inside uh, with your chappals on. So that was, yeah. So I think that, that I think for me played the most critical role in my journey that, you know, uh, falling in love with computers at a young age and having that curiosity to build or try new things. So uh, after coming back, how many places did you switch? I assume your dad must be getting transferred every two, three years. Actually, once he came back, he ended up being pretty stable in Kanpur and got transferred from one branch to another, of course, but then uh, kind of settled down in 
Kanpur, uh, which uh, also was a place where all my relatives and all were. So grew up there, and my and and my dad used to sometimes take over the weekend to uh, you know the IIT Kanpur campus and show me that it's such a serene and cool place. Wouldn't you want to be here someday, right? That's <laughs> that's how he kind of started building some inspiration. Oh, wow. How old were you when when he started doing that? When I was probably twelve, thirteen, and. Uh, I didn't really know what happens there in that cool campus but I really like the serenity and the uh, the green you know uh, the green cover and just the fact that there were lots of geeky looking people riding bicycles and with with thick glasses on um, I by the way I was somebody who wore glasses from the time I was 7 so I, I was myopic when I was born probably covered when I was 6 so so saw a lot of people like me wearing glasses uh, wearing chappals and roaming around uh, it looked like a cool place to be. So, so I, I think I was around 15 when I decided that I wanted to be an engineer. Okay. So you got through in the first attempt itself. Yeah, studied very hard actually. I mean, uh, the last year, I mean the 12th standard year, I can't recall a single day where I watch tv for like more than 30 minutes or i don't think i ever went to a movie hall that year it was a lot of sacrifice and a lot of hard work and study i mean sometimes i look back and i say that you know i, I don't think i've ever worked that hard even even building a startup is not that hard right the amount of studying that you need to do so uh but i think uh, i i think what i learned from that is if you're passionate about something and you can give it 100 percent, you know things do work out uh because i was really passionate about getting into a good college and um and uh studied very actually i studied so hard that i studied uh even for 12th standard with the same rigor so i got into big spilani and iit kanpur both <laughs> at the same time and and then ended up you know at iit kanpur electrical engineering and this was all self-study or you were going for classes or something? We did have a few so-called, you know, famous coaching classes in our town. I went to a couple of those, you know, and I also forged a lot of friendships with people there. And many of those guys also made it to IIT Kanpur after that. So that's another interesting kind of... I, I, I think one of the learnings there was if you have like-minded people around you, you know, that's the other important thing. So because you people say you're the average of, you know, the, the 10 people or the 5 people you spend the most time with, right? Uh, and, and I've seen that's true right so uh, I, I was a very studious uh, kind of child and geeky kind of uh, person and uh, ended up you know spending a lot more time with similar people when I was in school uh, but when I went to IIT the game changed because you know first semester itself first quiz you know they used to have these quizzes before the end semester exams and the first quiz uh, you know I got a zero in it right and I was like what the hell right how <laughs> is that possible right? <laughs> yeah you know you come in you've got a very good rank at IIT and you're probably the best in your school and you know you get this shock of your life and then and then you're like like was a very i mean those days id kanpur was the toughest kind of rigorous academic program probably still is uh, but you know like once you realize that everybody around you is equally bright or maybe brighter than you uh, you know you kind of start settling down and that's when i started moving a little bit away from just being purely academic oriented and started spending time on a few hobbies of mine um, and one of those hobbies was computer science by the way so i ended up spending probably more time sitting in the computer center just figuring things out on a on a first version linux box trying to compile the kernel and stuff like that uh, you know as opposed to my digital signal processing course books uh, so so you know the that that love with computers kept playing out even though i was studying electrical engineering i was more in love with you know programming uh, ethical hacking and you know figuring out how stuff works to the extent to the i mean some of the ethical hacking was 
to the extent that we got banned from the computer center a few weeks me and a few my few of my friends <laughs> uh but uh, so us us zamane mein ethical hacking karke to koi term nahi tha na wahan pe to sirf hacking hota tha hacking hi hota tha absolutely even if you didn't cause harm if you if you, if you were found to have broken into a computer you know you were in trouble so what's like your uh, fondest memory of those four years well i made a lot of friends right and i think i learned a lot from those friendships and and also you know like till the time you're in school or you know you're at home you do have a protective shell around you you know in your in your comfort zone um i think when you're on your own in college and you know you you discover all sorts of diverse uh, types of people coming from various backgrounds you know and iit that way you know like you had people coming from all strata of society all states of india you know again a very diverse lot to be with and and you know you couldn't decide who you would end up being wingmates with so you had to live with that bunch right and form friendships with that bunch so so i think the learning was you know how to get along with people and and building your social and communication skills and forming bonds and friendships which now last a lifetime i mean one of the one of the best friends from iit is now my co-founder uh, whom i've known you know now for let me check so 23 years so <laughs> you know so so i think uh, some of those bonds of friendship uh, and uh, what you learn from those people and individuals is a um, order of magnitude higher than what you end up learning in the classes i guess you also must have realized that uh, competing only from academics would be tougher and you decided probably to do better utilization of your time and get a more holistic personality grooming experience oh yes Oh yes totally totally i think the first two semesters you try to compete um, and then once you get the b's and c's you start giving up right um, that's the typical kind of curve right so i think uh, uh, i think beyond the second year i wasn't really caring about my grades to be honest and i even failed at one of the classes and failure is also very important to teach you a few things and i think i, I did buckle up and cover up and and uh, bounce back in the third year and and then by the by the fourth year you know you're usually in a much more chilled out zone where you know exactly how much you need to study to get a passing grade or a, at least a c um so you know i was one of those i was not really like a 8 point or 9 point someone um i was actually a 7 point someone um you know median median in academics but uh, but i would spend a lot of time on creative stuff like you know like if there was a ro- robotics competition or something you know i would just find someone in my wing who wanted to participate with me and try to build out something and whether or not we won it didn't matter actually uh, most cases we actually did end up in the top 3 4 but then you know it was more about participating and and having fun and then i remember i organized a lot of activities and i was very uh, participative in all the festivals and the tech festival tech fest that we used to have tekriti and um, a lot of the clubs right um, uh, debating damsharads and what not so uh, i think the last two years i was actually spending only 30% of my time studying so to say um, and 70% of my time really discovering new and cool things like one of the cool things we did was me and bunch of my wingmates actually pulled land cable from uh, the nearest node down to our hostel and and set up the first lan in our hostel right and this i'm talking about like uh, year 2000 right and it was pretty cool like we went and bought a a, U, a, a switch or a, a I can't remember it probably of the hubs or switches and did all the wiring ourselves we had a bunch of folks who figured out how to do the ip routing and stuff and bought a few computers and that's the 
by the way it took me that many years to convince my dad to buy a computer for me finally so i was in my third year of college third year of college is when i bought a computer uh, of my own until then i was managing the computer center either in school or college and so but yeah i, I mean fondest memories include setting up some of those cool things on the iit lan i mean we set up the first server that was i mean it's illegit but you know at that time you would download uh, music from some of the torrents and you know set up your own streaming server which could stream music to everybody in the hostel and that was a cool thing to do right back in like 20 years ago right <laughs> so so we were doing stuff like that like a file file swapping file sharing network that worked across the hostel we did, we did that sort of stuff i was known to be that sort of stuff like if you i i think if you look at my yearbook they'll say that if you have electrical engineering problems don't go to alok but if you have you know practical computer issues he's the guy to talk to right <laughs> so then what next by the time placement season came around what was happening So yeah placement season uh, you know i actually didn't think too much about it nor plan uh, enough about it in those days you just assume that since you're at iit you'll get a job so you don't need to worry too much about it so it wasn't as well planned as what people imagine maybe these days they are but we just sat in every company that came on campus and the first company that came uh, came on campus was a uh, huge uh, you know uh, huge network system which uh, which has these uh, satellite uh, uh, network communication systems in the US right uh, so they were hiring for their bangalore operations and you know we um, we were one of the few people with the first jobs on campus i recall uh, so we celebrated and all and then and then i got a second offer from uh, Amadeus which was a travel technology company based in Sam and you know just to make sure that we would all join the people who got selected they actually uh, gave us a 7 day fully paid tour of the French Riviera uh, and the campus of Amadeus and, and that was enough to floor us uh, and leave the the Bangalore offer and uh, go and join them instead so so that's how we ended up with amadeus in in france uh, post college so yeah so help us understand uh, the business model of amadeus and i believe this kind of is pivotal in your own uh, journey as an entrepreneur so what exactly does amadeus do how do they earn revenue and how have they evolved over the years so amadeus is a global distribution system uh, which was formed uh, to essentially allow airlines to have more control on uh, their distribution right so airlines use amadeus for managing their inventory hosting their inventory and distributing it further downstream to agents and consumers right so think of it as very large mainframes that have the final seat allocation for every every flight uh so there are two large companies there you know the saber and amadeus actually there's three but then these two are the large ones uh um, that control most of the uh, airline inventory in the world right and um i was actually hired for something new and cool so I, they were they were actually realizing that browsers were becoming the new thing right because till then all the travel reservation was done uh, on green screen terminals right which essentially you have these black screens where you type green commands you know you must have seen some of the uh, where they used to reserve tickets this way till even a few years back they were being used bloomberg terminals used to be in the past yeah so like they look similar so these gds terminals are where you type long commands to check availability and pricing and, and reserve seats so when i got hired like this was 2001 the world was moving towards browsers right so there was obviously internet explorer and firefox and, and a couple of other emerging browsers back then and and the idea was that you know why shouldn't travel agents or distributors start taking advantage of these tools and and their thesis was that maybe for an airline ticket at that point maybe it was not that critical to have a visual interface but for you know things like a cruise booking uh, which is very high margin 
um, and where you cannot sell a cruise without showing something visually, right? I mean, unless there's photos and videos, nobody's going to be buying a cruise ticket, right? Because you can't even imagine what the product or service is. So, so I was actually part of a small team that that wrote the world's first browser-based cruise booking software back in 2001-2002 called Amadeus Cruise. This was for agents, for agents to sell to their customers. Like those days you, I mean, even today, Cruise is still sold a lot to walk-in customers, you know, or people who actually want to talk to someone before they buy, right? And the agents would walk them through these, like we built this whole visual of the entire ship. Uh, where you could zoom down, zoom out, uh, zoom in into things, you know, choose the exact cabin, get inside the cabin, see the photos. It was a pretty rich experience built in JavaScript back in 2001-2. It was fun to learn JavaScript, uh, you know, with a bunch of very smart engineers. And, you know, that that's something I'm still very proud of, like what we built back there. And I think post that, you know, I, I got bored of GUI or, or like the UI, UX side of things and decided to move a little bit more towards the back end. So then, you know, I changed, I switched roles after a couple of years to more of a systems and networks. Uh, they had this uh, development data center in these uh, for you know, their entire global developer pool. And I started managing the um, systems and servers infra and, and uh, you know, understanding how the backend technology works from a, uh, <clears throat> from an operation standpoint. So did that for a year and then moved to INSEAD for my business school in 2004. Uh, uh, why did you decide to do an MBA? Both me and my co-founder, by the way, were Amadeus, right? And, you know, our biggest frustration there was that despite working very hard, right, uh, we felt that, you know, we were not utilizing all our potential. And, you know, when we would look at the increment every year like this was europe right this was france right so like if you got a one or two percent increment you were you were a lucky guy right so so broadly you know uh, i i think there was a sense of frustration building up on uh, being a small cogwheel in a big system right uh, which happens in every any anyone working for a large company ends up feeling that way after a few years in there unless you know you kind of move up the ladder into meaningful roles etc uh, i i think the pace of work and this was the this was like probably the best place to live like by far right French Riviera, you have Arabs and you have the sea on the other side, Mediterranean, and you have like 35-hour work week. Um, you know, if you overstay at work, you know, you get asked by your boss every day, like, why did you stay back late yesterday? It's that kind of a culture, right? And I still remember once, you know, I asked my boss permission that, can I actually work this weekend? And, you know, because I wanted to like finish something earlier than what I planned for. And he's like, you know, are you crazy? Like, go and chill out. It's a weekend, right? And that's, that's a kind of cultural difference between the way we work in India and, you know, the way we work in Europe. But, but, you know, when you're 24, 25 and you're ambitious, like, that doesn't work, right? I mean, you probably want to do more, stretch yourself more, grow faster, learn more stuff. And it was more, it was, it was slightly out of frustration and more out of, okay, I'm still young. I can still learn a lot. So why not figure out, you know, what an MBA really does for you? Because a lot of people, you know, uh, I mean, my family wanted me to at least do a master's before I, before I think of doing anything in my life, right? So that was something they were also kind of saying it's a great idea. I felt that it was a good disconnect from my uh, near perfect life but then it would give me some discomfort post that to figure out what to do next but then it was worth it to to have that discomfort in your life uh, and last but not the least i think you know i was looking to move, move out of france i spent four four and a half years there so I, I needed a break
break like move somewhere else and and in insead you know i had an opportunity to choose a campus so i chose the the singapore campus which was pretty new back then really wanted to be back in asia after my business school that was something i was clear about like every day i'd pick up the newspaper in europe and they would talk about the growth of india and china so it was like 2004 right um, the next big thing is going to be china and india right so then you figure out that you you have all the skills and you know why would you not consider moving back to asia if that's a opportunity so so went to singapore campus uh, insead and my uh, my co-founder rajneesh who was also my flatmate back in uh, back in france right stayed on with amadeus for another year it was only after i finished insead that we started talking about the idea of setting up something together in india so yeah i was more more frustration uh, and you know wanting to utilize your full potential so once you finished insead did you opt for placements or were you clear about doing your no, own no thing? i wasn't clear about anything when i went to insead right uh, the coolest thing to do was to uh, become a consultant or an i banker right that was like the path for most of the people you spoke to and and uh, like i was clear about i banking i didn't really want to uh, i mean i didn't really see the kind of value that gets created in those kind of jobs consulting was something that sounded cool from the outside um, and i sat through all the consulting like the big four interviews got rejected by most of them i mean i went till the final round in one of them and the guy told me you can't think straight um, you know after getting that kind of feedback i said fine no more consulting interviews for me um, and you know i did get a, a a couple of industry offers but nothing in what i liked um, or really wanted to do so i decided to move back to india so i wrote to a few indian companies and one of them was a mid sized travel technology company called final quadrant you know which had just been featured on the cover page of one of the uh business uh, magazines here you know they were selling a travel technology erp system to travel agencies across the world to help them go online you know i figured out that it was a interesting opportunity because it was a vp business development partnerships kind of role which is a skill i thought you know i need to build over time because you know as an engineer you want to understand more of business and sales you know before you decide to become an entrepreneur so even though at the back of my mind i was clear about moving back to india i wasn't yet sure about jumping into entrepreneurship directly because i said i've never worked in india i uh, i've never run a company before i've never been at a very senior position in a company just been an engineer before my business school so might as well work for someone and figure things out right and and learn before you take the plunge so i spent about 8 9 months working for them uh, but the urge to start something kept growing stronger and stronger in those 8 9 months and i think it was around uh, uh, you know june 2000 I, actually april may 2006 that i decided to quit and you know, started working on the idea of xigo around june 2006 cool that i want to start up my own thing and i'll go into why and how that happened as well so in 2005 two seminal events happened one was uh, there was a movie called swades launched at the end of 2004 which i watched i think january or february 2005 uh, and uh, it kind of rang a bell inside me because you know the story was really about somebody who has already achieved every thing in life outside of india and wants to come back home and to me it sounded like you know that's my story and i really should be going back now to contribute with my skill set uh, in my own country rather than thinking of a job abroad and this was a time when i was interviewing so actually after watching swades i actually did not do a few interviews because i thought you know if i have to move back to india i might as well focus on jobs there right and very few indian companies actually come on campus at india so i started applying directly to their website or or through my uh, network and uh, that's how i landed my job so so that happened and the second thing was the steve jobs commencement speech which i think also happened i guess it was you know april or may 2005 as well and that speech also 
kind of you know made me realize that the connecting the dots backwards uh, if i start doing that you know the fact that i worked in the travel industry the fact that uh, you know i myself was an avid traveler like when we were in europe we would travel almost every couple of months uh, to some new country around and you know uh, so that was one of the passion of my life and good with technology you know understood computers decently well loved the internet and india was a market where the opportunity was right and the moment i started connecting all the dots i was like i need to be back in india and i need to start up something of my own however neither did i have the capital nor the business or sales know how at that point because Yes, I had a business school degree, but I didn't have any practical experience running any business or uh, being a part of a leadership team in any business, right? So I decided to first do that job for as long as you know I would require uh, to learn those skill sets, um, and then do my own thing, right? So, uh, uh, but that itch kept growing bigger and bigger over time, right? And you know, uh, working for someone and working for your own things never the same, right? So uh, worked there for about eight nine months, cracked quite a few accounts in Europe, and then around you know April May. 2006 decided to just one fine day went to my boss and said I want to quit because I want to start doing something of my own. He was like fine. Uh, uh, came out of the blue for him. Um, and uh, <clears throat> and then you know I just uh, bought an apart like uh, uh, rented out an apartment here in Gurgaon. And that time Gurgaon was a you know a few buildings al- along the highway and then you know huge piles of dirt beyond that right. So uh, so the apartments were dirt cheap right and. <laughs> that's why not delhi but gurgaon and so nothing similar to what gurgaon is today uh, so called up rajneesh uh, called up another uh, uh, friend of mine at amadeus who might work with in the amadeus schools project german guy and convinced them to join me down here so so actually we had uh, uh, rajneesh and yens and me uh, you know started figuring out what are we building for india and over time you know that idea became exigo right so that's how we started So uh, what was the thesis that you started with that you knew you want to do something in the travel space what was the travel market like at that time and did you see that there is a gap in the market you know what did you think you would do so actually when we started uh, the initial idea was to build a travel technology company that could be a saas business for airlines and otas and you know give them technology to run their you know commerce and operations right so because when we were at the gds side of things you know at amadeus we realized that the suppliers themselves were not very well equipped on technology right and and so you know maybe powering them with technology could be cool right so that's why we called the company when we started we called it travenues it was travel plus avenues and the idea was more b2b uh, than b2c when we initially started working on it and we even had a customer uh, you know we did some work for a company called isango which was building and activities and tours the uh, uh, marketplace right uh, and we were prospecting you know few airlines and uh, few other international travel companies but then it struck us that the b2c opportunity in india was also you know up to their mmt guys had just come back uh, to focus on india like initially they were a us to india focused business but they had now come come to return to focus on india there was yatra travel guru clear trip etc would just raise their first round of funding you know to to build a ota for a b2c see here and there were uh, uh, of course air decker and, and you know in those days sahara and a couple of other airlines were competing and and starting to stimulate the market with very low airfare right so it started to look like that the ota market would happen right even though it was very early days there were not even 50 million internet users probably 30 or 35 when we 35 million back in 2007 so the market was very very small in everybody's eyes but the size of the prize was still large enough for people to start looking at backing right but we 
when we looked at the b2c space we were clear that you know the model we really liked back then was the meta search model where you work with all the inventory providers and you help the consumer sift and mine through all those deals and fares and allowed them to find where the best deals are and book it there right um, it's a bit like what other companies uh, in the west had started to do but even those companies were just a couple of years old so for india you know that market was definitely ahead of its you know like the the idea was ahead of the time and uh, when we actually went to a lot of airlines with the meta search idea they rejected it on day one because they sort of said you know abhi to ota market hi build out ho raha hai why would you do a meta search right um, but we didn't want to actually do what everybody i mean one of the things dna wise always has existed that we don't like doing things the way others do and and the reason is because most of the time the run of the mill solution is not what the consumers want right so our thesis was that people and it was all desktop back then so we said people don't want to open five browser windows and do the same search on the airline side and four otas and then compare the pricing they want to do all that at one place right so so that was the idea with which we started xigo and we started you know building connects to the airlines and the otas or in some cases you know pulling those fares from their websites and allowing consumers to compare uh, and get redirected back to book wherever they found those fares compelling enough right and just uh, on the sheer ux and simplicity that we came up with uh, so when we launched in june 2007 right you know we we were overwhelmed by the kind of response we got within the first few weeks just because you know we had a much more faster smoother and uh, time and money saving experience for everyone so it just grew like wildfire by word of mouth right uh, in the next few months you you decided to shut down whatever b2b initiatives you had by that time like you were pretty clear that you want to do b2b yeah so we were very clear by the end of absolutely so i think we were very clear by end of 06 that that's not what we want to do uh, because we saw that the sales cycle were very long there were multiple issues the uh, sales cycle at airlines and even large travel companies were sometimes up to a year and secondly you know b2c started looking like a once in a lifetime opportunity right saying that you know if we don't get into this we will miss the whole bus consumers coming online and searching and buying travel online right so uh, so it was end of 2006 we decided that uh, b2c is what it is uh, it took us 6 months to build figo and launch it so june 2007 third of june as you remember the date we actually took it live and the site almost crashed uh, that evening because a lot of people sent it out to all their mail groups and yahoo chat groups and you know all those things that existed back then uh, there were there were people working in companies like microsoft and google who mailed their entire teams about it and then we started to see a lot of hits coming from those ips and it was interesting uh, how in those days word of mouth used to work how was this product superior to say a make my trip uh, clear trip kind of a product because they have something similar where they aggregate fares across multiple airlines but they also handle the payment and reservation part Yeah, so Akshay, when we launched, uh, we used to search all these sites as well as the airline sites and return those results to you faster than their own website could, right? And there was some secret sauce there. We used something called Ajax back then, uh, which was very, very cutting edge. Like none of the OTAs really used it. Uh, it allowed us to bring down the speed of response to seconds because many of them used to take a minute. And then we built a really slick user interface with first of its kind features. Like we had a fare graph for fare calendar, fare graph, etc. for the next 90 days you know we started uh, we started doing mobile friendly features because in those days there was wap um, there was not there was no mobile internet per se but there was something called wap and we were the first uh, wap compliant 
travel company as well. We even did a SMS gateway for travel cert within a month of launch with uh, uh, basically a number you could message to and get fares and information back. So I think our approach was to be the best at UX um, and be able to find the best deals wherever they are because when you're not owning inventory, you can build a much more efficient model by where uh, you don't need to spend a lot to attract your consumers and you don't need to build a large operations out to service those customers, right? So it was kind of a growth hack for us to get into the market fast and that growth hack over the years, you know, got us to a million plus monthly users. And, and that's the only point when we decided that we need to go down a little bit more towards the transactional side of the funnel. How did you fund it in this first year while you were... Uh, working on the launch like seven you launched so from six to seven how did you fund the business actually i did have a, a little bit of savings even though i still had an mba loan i hadn't paid off but i had a few lakhs of savings and uh, rajneesh and uh, uh, the other you know initial teammates also brought in a few lakhs of capital but but i was very little i mean in hindsight that like in today's terms you know it will sound very small it was not even 20 lakhs right and that helped us with the initial capital to buy a few computers and, uh, and get started right and pay our rent for a year or whatever but yeah i i think we were very naive on this topic uh if i look in retrospective i don't think we were caring or worrying a lot about hey will there be funding when will it come uh, because we kind of assumed that it will build something good it will come and the reality was different because we we approached a lot of investors uh you know even before launch to show what we were doing and then even post launch um and we didn't get a lot of interest because people thought that the ota space you know like they didn't understand how we were different at that point and how much operating leverage we had versus the the OTS. And secondly, you know, I think the market and space itself was so new that for a lot of investors, you know, writing a check in a market where four OTAs have already raised money and the market itself, nobody knows how big that is. That was not cool. When did you do your first fundraise? Actually, initial capital that we raised was from family and friends. So a few of my relatives, uh, you know, a few of my friends, they put in some money end of 2006 to support us because we kept running out of money every three months, right? I mean, I think the first six, seven months we survived on our own money. Then we realized that, you know, the costs really ratchet up, you know, once you take up a service space. Like by, by the time we had launched, uh, you know, we realized that we would need more money uh, because you would then have more traffic coming in and you would need to take profit server hosting and things like that um, so that's the time when we brought in a couple of angel investors who were largely my friends from my business school and and i kept talking to all the major investors in india there were not that many probably eight institutional investors in india and most of them had already either said no or you know said you know let's talk in six months or things like that uh, but it was in uh, early 2008 where when we got a call from a Singapore-based investor who had looked at our website and found it pretty cool and nifty. Um, and he was a Norwegian guy called William Klipgen, who later on became our first seed investor. Uh, so he ran a fund in Singapore that uh, that committed half a million dollars to us uh, in February 2008. Um, and that, I still recall what happened there. So, you know, this was January, we were running out of money. I mean, to the extent that the office needed, a, by that time, we'd taken a very small office to now like a, a six-seater office, right? Um, literally like, a, you know, Know, like a 200 square feet of space you know nothing nothing very fancy and uh, you know the 
the day I actually wrote a check to buy a printer uh, because we needed a printer in office. Now some need was there. Their offer letter print करने की तो जरूरत पड़ती है employment agreement की ना तो so we had we had one girl who was our HR admin and everything rolled into one and she was like hey, we need a printer. You know? So I was like okay it cost ten thousand bucks let me go and buy it. So I went out and and I actually wrote a check to buy it right and the the check actually bounced. So the next day the guy was at our office door saying कि सर चेक तो बाउंस हो गई इन फ्रंट ऑफ ऑल लाइक वी हैड टू और थ्री एम्प्लॉयज बाय देन सो एंड आई वाज लाइक ओह शिट सो वी डोंट इवन हैव 10000 इन आवर अकाउंट टुडे एंड दिस वाज दिस वाज अराउंड द सेम टाइम व्हेन आई गॉट दिस कॉल फ्रॉम फ्रॉम विलियम बिकॉज़ अदरवाइज आई वुड हैव हैड टू क्लॉ मोर मनी फ्रॉम माय फ्रेंड्स एंड फैमिली एंड एंड यू नो figure out how to survive for a few more months um and william says you know you need to fly down to singapore and present to my uh, you know my co-investors my partners essentially and there was a big discussion for me and rajneesh because we were like here uh, 10000 paise to hai nahi like we'll have to eventually pay it out of our own pocket like we're down to literally the last bit and are we going to punt it on a flight ticket to singapore or what right and and we were like here there is no downside in it worst case we lose 20000 bucks right but let's just try this. so i actually took that flight out um and presented to you know william and his partners and uh, the unbelievable part was that you know i did this one hour long one and a half hour long presentation they said you can wait downstairs in the hotel lobby and you know we'll see you in a bit and in an hour you know william walks down with a term sheet um uh, which is their standard term sheet and he's like this is what our standard term sheet is let us know if you're okay with the terms because we'll send this to you by tomorrow and i didn't even read it actually i said you know looks okay as <laughs> 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 like and, and it and it was it was actually a standard term sheet but i flew back to india and you know we couldn't believe that we just raised half a million dollars right in one meeting but that's how our seed round happened right one thing i realized i mean now that i'm an angel investor on the other side you know one thing i realized is that you know when you're writing a very early stage check i think a lot just boils down to you know the person that you're trusting and the uh, the product that you're seeing live right i mean it's, you can't really do a lot of homework beyond that and i think for william also when we when we talked to him like how did you make that in issue patronas he was like you know i really like your team and your approach towards building something uh, you know new with a different approach right in the market which was already competitive and we were very frugal so he actually as a part of the diligence post term sheet he did come down and visit our office and we were a bit uh, you know let's say afraid or scared or whatever saying ki yaar main chote se office mein aayega yahan pe literally we sit uh, so close to each other that you know if i move my elbow i'll touch the next chair uh, what will he think right uh, and you know we don't even have a meeting room so he said i want to do a two hour long meeting with you so i said ki ccd mein baith jayenge downstairs there was a ccd from there and, and you know when we sat in ccd he said you know what guys i'm really impressed by how you're operating up there because frugality is what i really look for you know in early stage companies and that is so rare right and investor or even here because i i think a lot of people out there fall for flashy stuff right uh, but uh, but you know we've kind of been that way even like even today we might have more meaningful resources and grown bigger and all that but you know i think there is a there is a frugal mindset we still operate with and, and that is something you know we've learned from those hard initial days where we were bootstrapping and and then you know half a million lot a lot of money so even that even after that money came in um, you know we realized that we wanted to scale fast we would have to hire a bigger team move into a bigger office start doing marketing so cost start inflating very very quickly right and uh, the only good news was the moment you announce a fundraise like that all your series a guys are suddenly calling you up right uh, the same folks who uh, 
you already said no a few months back so we started getting a lot of inbound from institutional investors uh, one of them even wrote us a term sheet but that term sheet unfortunately did not close uh, due to lehman brothers uh, crisis uh, in september 08 yeah so so uh, we within like Six months of raising money, we were in a situation where we had a broken term sheet, and with just three to four months of burn sitting in the bank, uh, based on our current burn rate at that point, right? Um, even though our traffic had traffic had snowballed significantly, we were already doing like two hundred fifty thousand uh, unique users a month or something in that range by the end of two thousand eight. But you know, uh, uh, revenue-wise, like it was just a few lakhs of revenue a, a month, not even enough to to pay salaries or get about anything else, right? So it was really still. burning uh, a lot of money every month um, <clears throat> so we were left in a crisis situation essentially within uh, within that high point that i described of raising money you know was within 7 months of that uh, back to a very low point where you figure out that you're going to lose everything if you don't act and that was a turning point for our journey what was uh, the way you were monetizing the product till then like uh, how did you make money when people would search and go out of your website if you clicked out from xigo and you bought a ticket on one of the partner sites of ours uh, we used to make money you know either on a cpc or a cpa basis right and then we had ads so we had uh, we had banner ads or text ads uh, on our platform uh, that we monetized from so these two primary modes of monetization and by then we had started expanding into uh, like we started building hotels and uh, buses it was very early days but started partnering with uh, companies like redbus and uh, others in the space uh, and uh, we'd also started uh, train information uh, you know and back then ircdc api wasn't really available for everyone so we started doing information led uh, uh, content for trains right because there were a lot of queries starting to come in for schedules routes uh, availability timings so we started building a lot of pages for that sort of content um in mostly the marketing we were doing was search engine optimization trying to rank well on google for those queries um and uh, uh you know i think facebook was very new but we started leveraging it as a platform for social reach uh very early company to start doing that back then i mean we were uh, we had a one or two member content marketing team that started posting quizzes and content etc on facebook back in 2008 9 i'm talking about you know so um uh, but uh, uh, but we realized that we we couldn't fight the same battle that the OTAs were fighting on TV and print burning millions of dollars every year and raising raising subsequent rounds of funding year after year so in total you know in the 5 years that post you know our seed round most of the OTAs in India would have cumulatively burned through uh, 300 to 400 million dollars right just uh, largely on on marketing uh, spend right and uh, it was a very bloody battle being fought out there but in our mind you know one thing we were certain of was that this is a long haul race uh, there is no urgency to kind of you know go for hyper growth uh, by burning a lot of money given that the market itself was very severely underpenetrated right we were talking about maybe now 50 60 million internet consumers if not more than that um, so it was still a very very small part of the overall market that was online so we said you know even if we kind of start fighting that battle late Uh, i don't think we'll lose much uh, it's just a question of surviving till then so uh, you said that uh, you would make money from partner sites but would you also list like non partner sites like when someone would search for airfare from a to b we we had a few of those listings but uh, those were very small airlines which helped us to build content for those routes as opposed to especially for international like international obviously we were not partnered with everybody that we showed like we were partnered only with the top 
five six carrier folks like Emirates or you know Lufthansa etc. Because you know you a you didn't have the bandwidth to go and partner with everybody and b you didn't care because the long tail would not be more than twenty thirty percent of your booking right. So so you always start with the top carriers that you're able to monetize from, um, and that's what we did right. Was it a tough sell? Like you previously found out that the B two B cycle is a long cycle and difficult to do. So when you started going because initially it would have been free traffic for them right you had a meta search engine where yes so what happened yeah so when we launched it was all free traffic for everyone but we went to airlines and said look uh, here are the utm codes you need to track in your google analytics or whatever you use and tell us how many bookings this is driving for you uh, if you think that we are growing your bookings week on week you know then let's partner and and we can show you even faster growth right um, jetways and indigo were the first two airlines back then uh, to sign up with us and uh, and i think they were both very progressive in their thinking when it came to digital marketing and understanding of this space and they knew how meta searches uh, outside india such as kayak or skyscanner you know were benefiting airlines in their region so they could see the value of uh, you know a meta search player emerging in india right uh, because it also creates the balance of power in their mind you know for the uh, ecosystem so so i think uh, as we showed our staying power and growth uh, you know airlines started to believe that this is something that could definitely grow over time and and be useful to partner with and and i think sometimes you just have to be persistent so even with the other airlines even though they didn't sign up within a couple of months of launch uh, i was so persistent like i remember that there were at least three times when i went to the kingfisher airlines office it used to be in fort in you know old mumbai and i just i would just sit in the reception waiting for a meeting with the right guy for up to 2 to 3 hours right because the guy was busy in several meetings and he would keep pushing that meeting around because he like he wasn't really sure on like i was a nobody back then exigo was a no one and you know i think just having that persistence of going and sitting there for 3 hours uh, and and i used to i remember those days of fun because i used to take this local down till church gate and walk down to the office in uh, fort and and sometimes come back without a meeting at all but not get dejected and show up again the next day right uh, so you have to be persistent and that was the lesson i also learned when i was in my fundraise that you know like we got so many no's that at one point you feel dejected right um, at one point there was this female venture capitalist who told me that you know uh, you know what alok you're wasting your time you won't be you won't even be able to raise 100000 dollars with an idea like this right and i remember i cried that day when i went back to my um, and this was in bangalore i went back to my hotel room and cried Right? because like no entrepreneur wants to hear that about what they're so passionate about right and all i said was that you know the only thing i can do is work hard and prove her wrong right i mean there's nothing more i can control so that's the way you have to approach the situation every time you get a rejection so, so it was same with the airlines i think it took six more months to bring on everybody else after jet and indigo but we did bring all the airlines into paying partners by 2010-11 it was obvious that exigo was becoming a force to reckon with because we were the only travel company growing without any marketing spend i mean literally our marketing spend on google in 2009-10 was zero dollars right like we were not spending any money on sem uh, which is the same for the last four and a half months I'm proud to say last four and a half months we spent zero on Google, right? So whenever you're in that situation and you can still grow, I think it does inspire a lot of confidence. And then 2011, seeing our numbers, you know, a lot of the investors uh, started coming back um, and talking to us, um, you know, and make my trip. Uh, obviously, also approached us to to make an investment, and then they were safe, and that deal came together in 2011. Safe and MMT uh, invested in our business in the Series A round, and uh, uh, you know we. 
that was the first time we had serious institutional money. So you can say that uh, from 2006 to 2011, five years we survived on less than a million dollars. I think we did a small bridge round in 2000, uh, early 2010, um, sorry, early 2009 when... Uh, with the same uh, Norwegian With the same guy. So uh, they gave us a very fair deal. They said, uh, we will give you uh, a valuation that reflects your growth since we invested. However, you need to bring in, you know, X dollar from the outside and we will match it with X dollar as investors ourselves, whatever amount you are able to bring in. And we went back to all our friends, family, my INSEAD network, two of my professors, the dean of INSEAD in Singapore and uh, one of my entrepreneurship professors, Patrick Turner, he was so much in love with the idea. Like he, I had one phone call with him and he wired the money the next day. He didn't even wait for a term sheet to be signed. Right. So, uh, and, and the dean, and he brought in the dean of INSEAD with him uh, because, you know, they could see that the company was doing well. I mean, I, all the numbers were tracking up. Uh, running out of money is a situation, but performance of the company has nothing to do with that. Right. So, the performance of the company is good and you're running out of money and your metrics are decent and your unit economics are great. There are always people who will support you. Right. So, we saw that. Um, and so we brought in the, the 250K uh, from the outside. Uh, we, uh, our seed investors matched with the 250K and they were extremely supportive. Like uh, from the word go, when they saw the crisis coming, they said, don't worry, keep executing, cut down costs, but you have our support, right? And so we did another 500K sort of interim bridge round. Maybe it was just under 500K. Uh, so in total for five years, we had almost bootstrapped because as founders, I don't think our salary was anything more than 20, 30,000 a month for those five years of our life, right? Were you married by then? Uh, I got married in 2009, end of 2009, November 2009. And uh, after more, much of these things were sorted, you know, and I, I think uh, one of the things I realized by that time was that some of these things are not in your control so as an entrepreneur you know one of the mistakes one makes is that you always feel that you're in control uh, and you're the boss and you're running things and you can do whatever you want but you know when a crisis hits you realize that a lot of things are not in your control and 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 for me you know it was that pivotal moment where i said you know if if i'm not thinking about what i'm doing in my personal life at this point you know uh, because that's one thing you can still uh, you know focus back on because what Three years, you know, I'd not thought a single minute about it. So, 2009, I decided to get married and settle down to some extent. But aspect, but the company was on fire in terms of growth, right? So, one of the interesting things is 2009 and 10 were amazing years for us. Like we grew at more than 100% year on year on every metric, and we're talking about like economic downturn, right? Uh, year. So, when this whole crisis came, uh, the way we approached it was pretty unique, right? So, uh, we were 24 or 25 people at that point. Uh, as a team and we could see that we wouldn't last more than three tops four months uh you know with the kind of money we had left uh, so we needed to act right um and the knee-jerk reaction when we spoke to people was that you know you should just let after team go and increase your runway to like seven eight months nine months and nine months may hopefully you know things will start getting better and uh, you will bounce back um however you know we had so painstakingly built this team and you know uh one of the biggest learnings for me in the last 14 years is that you know uh, it's all about the people and the team you build right i mean uh, without them you cannot achieve anything and if you hire the right people uh, you know they can really take you into another orbit and so these were all hand picked people painstakingly brought uh, brought in by us now uh, we couldn't even imagine or think about how we could let these people go right and that too during a time when finding a job would be difficult as well so uh, so when we 
had that discussion we said you know let's be transparent with the team and rajneesh and i went to the whiteboard and actually uh, told them what our pnl was looking like transparently right we said look this is how much we are earning every month uh, these are the three main heads of our cost right and this is how much runway we have now if we need to extend this runway to a year this is what we need to do so uh, you know we we said that the most likely outcome is that we may have to let some people go but then if there is any other outcome we can all work out on you know i'll love to hear your views and this young uh, engineer uh, called ayush stands up and says that you know why can't we all just work without salary for a few months right if that helps because uh, you know he said i just did the math in my head but 3 months without salary which means you know you get a lot of runway as a result and i was like you know that sounds cool but then you know most people have their own rent and emi and multiple things going on right so you can't it's not practical um and then but the buzz started in the room like people were talking to each other suddenly and like they're like what if we all go down to like half of our salaries or or you know something like that it automatically extends the runway by that much you know i think that was a pivotal moment because we realized that the team has just found a solution that we didn't think of um and since since they've come up with the solution there is immense buy in for it um and we said fine you know let's do that so as founders we went to zero and the team went to half their salaries and that continued for almost 9 months we were able to revert salaries only Nine months later, uh, let me tell you, not a single person of that team, uh, and maybe one or two of them left on their own accord because marketing is something we're not doing. But then all the core people, uh, product tech, you know, business, none of them left us for at least two years post that. Uh, moment. In fact, some of them stayed for another four or five years, right? And most of them saw us through till the time we were uh, breaking even. I mean, so in end of 2010, we were almost breaking even. Like 2011, we were on the verge of profitability. So, so I think it was a massive turnaround. We managed to execute at people with people uh, who were committed, and uh, we gave ESOPs to all of them. some of those people monetized their esops when our series they happened and uh, ended up with a few crores which we are very proud of and then some of them went on and started their own companies you know because I think riding this up and down curve is very important in every every startup's journey because it it does teach you a lot about who you are and what you're capable of doing. Okay, so what would you say is the secret sauce of uh, Exigo? And uh, you know, if I were to make a guess, I would probably say it's two things. One is that uh, you've used technology and done very clever uh, ways to. outshine your competitors through technology like the example of tara which you gave just now and i think the other is that your uh, approach to marketing has been very unconventional where you have for example i would say that building the train app is like a marketing first decision that it helped you acquire a lot of consumers or similarly you have a viral video factory in house um so what do you think about that i think if i sum it up you know we've been very blue ocean in our thinking right uh, when i went to instead i learned about blue ocean strategy but broadly blue ocean is that you are not deriving what you do from any playbook right whether it is the kind of people we hire the culture we built uh, you know the kind of the the way we have reacted to uh, you know adversity uh, the way we do marketing uh, the kind of product we've built our approach to business models and how agile we've been in changing them with the time or how we think about new products right uh, 
I, we don't compare ourselves with others and as a result it is hard to find comparables with us uh, and i think that's that's the way you build a unique product and brand right because uh, if we get too biased by what's already out there and if we get uh, uh, in fact you know internally people say you know hey why are we not looking at what that company is doing and i'm like you know we should never look at competition we should only spend more time with customers right because uh, if we know what the customers want we would have built that even before the competition and even if they have built it and the customers don't want that they'll discover it within a year right so there's no point looking at what competition is doing uh, there is more value in staying at the bleeding edge of listening to your customers uh, to the extent that uh, even today uh, me my co-founder my leadership team uh, read a lot of feedback personally responds to uh, at least 1 to 2% of the feedback ourselves uh, attends to a few customer calls or queries uh, you know every month ourselves during the covid times uh, the entire team was on customer support including uh, marketing and engineers and product guys uh, because if you're not close to your customer you will not understand their pain um, and only by being close to them you will come up with blue ocean thinking which is uh, not boxed by some dogma and what already exists out there and what an ota def- what the definition of an ota or a meta needs to be because at times you know when i speak to investors they're like what are you are you a meta or a ota or you hybrid and i'm like you know i'm exego right uh, i you know i i don't like being boxed into i'm I want to build the most consumer centric company in this space and I want to build it with a lot of empathy for my customers because I believe most OTAs out there do not have that much empathy for their customers you know unlike in e-commerce where you have some brands that have built on the basis of customer empathy and customer experience in in the OTA space you cannot think of one brand that can offer you great customer experience and we think that is an opportunity right and that is why we decided to pivot fully to an OTA model you know in the last year or so um, but we are the youngest OTA in the space right uh, we spent 10 years being a meta and maybe one and one year being an ot at this point right um, uh, and i think time will tell how we can uh, uh, you know improve our customer experience to become the best in the space do you foresee needing to raise funds again or since you've already hit profitability in the last quarter of previous financial year then i mean would see at this point uh, obviously you know travel is the worst hit category right and uh, uh, i i think uh, from a fundraise perspective it's not the right time because we would rather uh, you know wait it out survive the crisis and come out shining on the other side uh, before we uh, speak to anyone and uh, obviously uh, uh, our current as- assessment is that we should be able to turn profitable sooner than uh, people with higher fixed costs in this space so you know we think that within the next 6 to 12 months we should be back uh, to profitability uh, with even some growth in the category and uh, yeah i mean if we are able to uh, get back to profitability soon we may not need any uh, further capital uh, if not you know we may have to talk to investors sometime next year once things are bouncing back so what do you see as the end goal do you want to take it public take xigo public or do you see a larger company uh, acquiring exigo or you know what do you see as the the long game i think after we turn profitable this year you know we are increasingly confident uh that we can take this company public uh we are one of the hardly any profitable ot in this uh, category so we are one of the only profitable ones if we are able to build scale next so profitability plus scale is where it becomes interesting to ipo i think uh, given covid you know it's going to take a setback for a year or we can plan that out but it looks like within 3 to 4 years you know an ipo is uh, foreseeable so uh, what is it that you personally have as a goal for yourself is there something 
some answer that you're seeking to something you want to learn you know what's driving you personally look when i started this uh, what was driving me personally was you know wanting to come back to india and do something uh, meaningful right uh, with my skill talent and passion uh, and uh, or, or as the japanese say the ikigai right uh, where your uh, what you want to do and what you love doing you know and what can pay you etc all come together i think uh, uh, i'm enjoying this journey it's been uh, very uh, you know long journey it's been almost 14 years like i said uh, uh, but it doesn't feel that long you know when i look every every day has been exciting um, there's always a lot of ups and downs but that's what it makes it more enjoyable i think uh, uh, the meaning i'm seeking is you know can we uh, end up building a brand and a legacy that lasts the test of time right um, and that that is something uh, where still a lot of uh, work may be required we might only be 1% done uh, in terms of uh, you know how large an impact ixigo can create uh, for travel in india and uh, uh, you know that's 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 what i would want to do before i uh, think that i'm done interesting right we sure as hell must thank our loop for creating a website that has made the process of booking flights hotels and accommodations easy simple and highly efficient for all of those who are planning a trip around the country head to www.exigo.com and suit yourself to some exciting offers and deals if you like the founder thesis podcast then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing technology career advice books and drama visit the podium.in that is t h e p o d i u m . i n for a complete list of all our shows this was an hd smartcast original hd smartcast Log on to hdsmartcast.com to listen to more such podcasts.